Hey, I'm Luke Coward, and welcome to the Conversations with Christians podcast, a simple podcast where you hear encouragement, testimonies, and how other believers are living out their faith in the workplace, mission field, and in everyday life. It's my prayer and hope that other brothers and sisters in Christ will be reminded of our mission and also hear how other people are doing life as a Christian. It can often feel like we are doing life in a vacuum, and I believe hearing how others are living in Christ-likeness can be reassuring and allow for confidence in Jesus. And that's the whole point of this simple podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Conversations with Christians podcast. So welcome to the, to the uh, Conversations with Christians podcast. Today I'm joined by Christina Turner uh, in Las Vegas. So Christina, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Christina, the whole point of this podcast is simply to encourage other Christians who are doing life as believers in Jesus, some in ministry, some uh, stay-at-home mom, some a, da- a, a new dad. By the way, I'm a new dad. I didn't know if you knew that. Um, oh, congratulations. Yes. I didn't know that you had the baby. Yeah, so he is six weeks old. Uh, wow. And it's a ball of joy, to say the least, but I'm learning every single day that um, I am I, I don't know what's going on, which is good and bad, right? My wife's like, I've got it all together. I know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm like, sure, I'm, I'm along for the ride. You know, I'm just here, <laughs> you know, so. Um, but uh, the 4 a.m., uh, 4 to 5 a.m., you know, rocks where he doesn't go to sleep for like over an hour. Uh, that can remind you of why you we need a savior. So, <laughs> so. That's so, that's crazy. What an interesting way to like live quarantine as a brand new dad. Yeah, so the, two, the, the first two weeks, um, before quarantine started, we were basically in baby quarantine because we had just had the kid, you know, the, it's flu season. They didn't allow very many people to come in the hospitals. And so two weeks mm-hmm. go by the day we were supposed to like, okay, do whatever you want, go back to work, you know, do your thing. Baby can be out and about. They're like, yeah, quarantine. And so we've been, wow, we've been at home like two weeks longer. So Shelby and I are ready to go fist to cuffs, but it's just, it's, it's been, it's been really, it's been really trying, but it's also been really good in terms of like her and I getting to grow spiritually together, having time to read and pray together that we normally wouldn't have, you know, her mm. as a school teacher and me as a pastor and how our schedules would often not align. So uh, that's at least wow. been one good thing that's come from it. But uh, Christina, tell us a little about your story, how you came to know Jesus as Lord uh, and how you got to the context in which you are now. Yeah. So um, yeah, testimony is always a crazy, a crazy thing to think about all that Jesus has led me through. But my parents were brand new Christians. They got saved when I was born. They both came from pretty crazy backgrounds that are drastically different than Christianity, right? And so as a little girl, I went to church and we prayed. And I remember being five years old and it was like, I just always knew Jesus was real. Um, but my parents were still figuring out a ton about Christianity because they'd lived in the world for so long. And you know, my older brothers lived a very different life than the Christian life. And so it was this like weird mix, right? Um, and my parents really showed people a lot of love like Jesus. They don't necessarily know how to share the gospel, or at least at that point, they weren't like evangelists, but they loved showing people love through showing them a second chance and telling them about redemption. And so like my house was always full of broken people, lost people, like people who didn't have a family. And so my house was always this busy place where we talked about Jesus, we prayed, we read the Bible, we went to church, but also there was a lot of worldly influence. 
And so it was this like mix of everything, right? Um, and along the way, bringing in all different types of broken people led to a lot of abuse on my end um, that my parents didn't really know about. And so there was definitely a lot of abuse, but at the same time, I believed in Jesus. And so what happened when I was younger is I believed that Jesus was real and he was good and he was sovereign, but I just didn't really like myself a lot. And so a lot of my life was spent thinking I didn't really have any worth because that's normally the message you get from abuse is like you start to view your worth much differently. And um, I remember being 12 and I was at church as I always was. And the message was on identity theft. And basically our pastor laid out, this is who God is. This is his character. This is who we are as followers of Jesus. This is like what it means to have your identity in Christ. And then this is who the enemy is and how he tries to steal your identity. And I, at 12 years old, was like, oh my gosh, that's totally me. Mm. He's trying to steal my identity. And like, if that's really what God is like, and if that's really who I can be, then that's like exactly what I want. And so I remember like praying the prayer during that sermon and just being dumbfounded that this was really the, who, like who God was actually like and the fact that he determined that I had value. And that was a huge deal to me. But being a 12-year-old girl, a lot of my story was up and down from there about until I got to college. Like there was always a bunch of crazy things happening in our house. And there's always a lot of different circumstances. And I lived in this very like in-between place for a lot of my life where it was like, God is good. I love Jesus. But I still really have a lot of lies about myself that I believe because they don't just go away the second you get saved. You really have to actively uproot them and place truth, but no one was telling me that. And so a lot of my life was like this in between of like, I love Jesus, but I don't really see a lot of words in myself. So I'll go to youth group on Tuesdays, but I'll party on Fridays. And that was kind of the mix all throughout high school, dating not great guys, looking for attention. But then at the same time being like, but Jesus is go so good. Everyone needs to come to youth group. Everyone needs to come to church. You guys need to know who Jesus is because he's so great. And so that was like a lot of my story. Mm was just this back and forth um, and seeing God show up in so many ways. Like every time something went wrong in my life, it was so evident where God was. And I actually have heard the Lord's voice my entire life and never known that that was like a big deal. I didn't know that some people didn't hear the voice of God. And so it was like my whole life, Jesus was just my best friend having conversations with me. And I didn't realize how amazing that was. And my senior year of high school um, was when everything really radically changed. It was like, I had Jesus all throughout that, but I was living this double life. And I remember the Lord told me to go to Liberty University in Virginia. And I was like, but Lord, don't you see all the chaos going on in my house? Like I'm the one that's closest to Jesus right now. I have to stay home and take care of my family. I'm working and help paying bills for my parents. I'm, you know, loving on my sister. I need to be here. Like I need to do this. I don't know why you'd want me to move eight hours away. Cause I'm from Long Island, New York and Virginia is eight hours to mm-hmm. 10 hours away. Yeah. And I was like, Lord, I don't, I don't think you understand what you're asking of me, but I know that every time I've said no to you, it's not a good, it's not a good move. I know you have my best in mind. And so let's just have a, a conversation about it. And so I talked to Jesus for like three hours about why I should go to college somewhere else. And I suddenly started to just like picture myself on a college campus and the feeling that came with it was freedom. And it wasn't like freedom from my parents. It was like freedom from lies. And I didn't really understand why that was the overwhelming feeling I was getting. And Jesus said, you're not a savior. You're an intercessor. And I'm going to show you that. And so, and right after that, I had like 
I was worshiping and I had this encounter with the Holy Spirit that was so good where I felt the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit for the first time where it was like, it was more than just me singing worship. It was like, I knew that God was with me. I felt his presence. Mm. And then that began to happen like often. And as that began to happen, I was like, why would I like, why would I drink or do any of these other things when it doesn't compare to the feeling of being in his presence? And so at the end of my senior year, I ended up in this place of repentance of reeling, like realizing, wow, God's presence really is better than wine or better than anything else. And so I laid down, actually chose obedience, chose life that didn't look like a lot of sin because his presence was better. And I went to Liberty and there I ended up learning so much about the Lord. So Dude, that's so cool. That is so awesome. Christian, tell, I was listening to your story. Tell us a little bit about how, like, like there's, there's a difference in between, you know, being saved and choosing obedience, right? And like, like like a lot of people know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but struggle to obey his commandments. And we see a lot of that in the gray area, right? Between, you know, my, my, what I say is, I am calling myself a Christian, but my action wouldn't display my affections, right? So where was that turning point kind of for you where you were like, you know what, the obedience to the Lord, which often leads to intimacy with the Lord, uh, this is kind of actually better than the other. How did you come to that point? Were you seeking after the Lord? I know you spoke about, uh, you know, prayer and, and moments with the Holy Spirit, but like, were you actively seeking to say, hey, is Jesus better? You know, you that that... Like, is Jesus better than everything else that I have put my worth in or the lies that I've been he- hearing? How did you come to that moment? Because I think there's a lot of people that are probably in the in-between right now. You know, like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't necessarily believe or know that Jesus is better than all the other stuff. Yeah, I think it really was this learning process of there had to be several moments where I realized Jesus was better than whatever else I found myself in. And honestly, there was these moments where I built up trust with the Lord because he'd tell me to do something. I would ignore it. And then all of a sudden, that thing would go very south. And I'm like, oh, that's why Jesus told me not to do this thing. Um, and nine, it honestly, like, was in ninth grade, I was in a really bad relationship with a guy. He was abusive. And the thing is, I was with him for almost two years. But the Lord had told me to break up with him, like, pretty quickly into our relationship. And I was like, but Lord, you don't understand, like, He's my everything, you know, and not understanding that Jesus really is everything. Because at this point, this guy was very controlling. You know, I was losing a lot of my friends because of him. I, you know, things weren't going well at home because of the things he was saying about me to my parents. Like just these, this manipulative place I found myself in, I felt like he was the only thing I had. Um, And I remember saying that to Jesus. He was like, break up with him. And I was like, but I'll have nothing. I don't think you understand what you're asking of me. Right. And. I mean, once we broke up, which was the help of an amazing youth leader who saw what was going on and walked me through that process. Uh, you know, discipleship is a huge part of walking with Jesus because a lot of times we don't know how to say yes on our own. Mm-hmm. Um, but she walked me through it. And I was like, once I got far enough from the situation, I was like, that's, that's why Jesus told me to break up with him early on. And if I had listened, I, it would have spared me so much heartache. It would have spared me so much, but I didn't listen. But of course, the Lord's grace and his redemption is so sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then throughout high school, it was like these continuous moments of like, okay, well, I said no to God there and it didn't work out so well, but I'll still dabble in this because, you know, I'm rating my sin on this level of like, well, my church friends compared to them, I'm, I'm a little bit wild, but compared to my high school friends and the people I work with, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was just this thing of like continuously being in things. And I remember even just 
the last time I ever got drunk was my senior year of high school or right after it ended really. And I remember just sitting there really drunk and thinking, why am I doing this? Like, this is just not anything in comparison to like the presence of God, because, you know, I was having conversations with the Lord daily. And I felt like when I was drunk, I, I was still talking to him, but it wasn't, you know, there was this shame there. And I had been seeking him through small groups and discipleship. And then I started to feel his presence during worship. So I was seeking him, but it was this place of like, okay, I had to realize that God really is better than any of these other things. There's a reason he tells me to do these things. And so when you start to kind of realize God's character and things, and then he doesn't just say no, because it's like, he wants to kill our fun or he wants to be controlling. The reason that he tells us not to do certain things is because he actually knows what's best and what's good for us. Mm -hmm. And his plan and his way is ultimately better. And so in that moment, like actually being drunk, I was like, wow, being with God is actually so much better than how I feel right now. So why would I continue to, to be in this? And so that was really this thing of God built up a reputation with me of his way being better than my way. That's, that's so good, Christina. I, I like what you said about the Lord doesn't tell us to live a life of obedience or to live a life of uh, sobriety or live a life with uh, no sexual morality because he's a party pooper, right? He, 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 yeah. he does it because actually his way is better. And the joy of the Lord, which we can find, and in this inexpressible joy that one of my favorite passages, 1 Peter 1, 8 through 9, you know, although we do not see him right now, we believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible joy for it will eventually be the hope and the goal of our salvation. That joy, that inexpressible joy that we found in Christ, the peace of Jesus is better than anything else you can taste, anything else you can find. Yeah. And until you come to the end of yourself and believing that that's true, and sometimes uh, one road or another, like your road was, was finding maybe in ways of, you know, partying or drunkenness or whatever, you'll find that, no, Jesus is better. But one thing, Christina, that you said that really got me thinking is, how do we know what the Lord has called us to? I think so often uh, it's, it's, it's human instinct to skip steps, right? Mm -hmm. I'm like, I, I'll talk with people all the time about, you know, well, I just want to know, I want to know God's will for my life, right? But they're not interested in reading the words of scripture, right? They're skipping, they're like, like, well, let's see what was normative in all of scripture. And then you begin to go to the Lord in honest prayer. And, and then he begins to uh, speak, speak to you and, and, and allow you to see guidance and different things. But we, we have skipped the step of like, go to the authoritative scripture first. Well, yeah, but I just yeah. want to know now. Like, I want to know the answers now. I want to know God's next 50 years for my life right now. And if I don't get that, you know, it, what's scary is often if I don't get that, well, God may not be real. And then we start getting into really dangerous water. So I appreciate your honesty of saying like, you know, you tried other things first or, or during, but you found out that Jesus was better. Uh, so Christina, I, re I really appreciate that, 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 that uh, viewpoint. And, and, I, and those who are listening, I encourage you turn to the scriptures, turn to the Lord in prayer before turning to yourself, your spouse, your peers, your friends, your alcohol, your anything else, because Jesus truly is better. Uh, Christina, along with that, tell us how you got to where you are now. What, what post-college, what, how did you end up in Las Vegas, Las Vegas? Yeah, so, you know, the Lord had been building up that reputation, and so I got to my freshman year of college, and 
you know, I remember I was on a phone call with one of my friends that I was just talking to my friend about, you know, yeah, when I come home this summer and immediately I just, I, this thought popped into my head and it was more like a dialogue because here's the thing, when you continuously allow the Lord to talk to you and you continue this dialogue and it's more than like, yeah, I pray for my family every day and that the Lord provides this and he'll get me out of this. It's like, when you actually have conversations with Jesus, like your best friend, he kind of has authority to talk to you whenever he feels. And I remember just being in this conversation with my friend and I said, yeah, when I come home this summer and the Lord was like, well, you're not actually going home this summer. Mm. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. Well, I'm not going home this summer. And it was like this immediate thing of, oh, okay, the Lord has a plan for me this summer. So now it's time to seek this out. And so I was like, all right, Lord, where do you want me? Um, And the funny thing is, so I, I waited a while, nothing happened. And I was like, okay, well, maybe it's because I should actually seek it, seek it rather than just sit here. And so I remember praying for like two weeks straight and being like, okay, Lord, I really want to know what you have for me. And different doors opened up. And as they'd open up, I'd be like, okay, is it this one? And the Lord would be like, no. And I'm like, well, why did you even open the door? Because sometimes an open door doesn't just mean this is where I'm going. This Mm -hmm. is obviously from the Lord. Um, And I think that that was important for me to learn is like things might open up, but there's like a best one that the Lord has for you. I think there's options sometimes, but sometimes the Lord has a best. And I was just seeking him like every day praying, okay, Lord, I want to know where you have me. And eventually I'm in a class and I'm doing my homework for the next class. And the Lord goes, this is it. Look up. And so I look up, there's this guy talking on the stage about Las Vegas. And he's talking about how I can come do an internship with his church in Las Vegas for the summer. And I was like, Lord, Vegas? Really? I've never wanted to go to Vegas. I've never thought about going to Vegas, but I'm just excited that I feel like I'm hearing from you. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so I literally turned to the Bible and I said, Lord, if this is really from you, I need you to tell me. And I, I, you know, I hear your voice, but I just want to make sure I'm going to flip the Bible around my eyes closed, Mm -hmm. open it up, point my finger, which doesn't always work, but the Mm -hmm. Lord was full of grace that day because I was like, I just need an absolute confirmation before I tell my parents I'm going to Vegas. Yeah. Um, and so I basically flipped the whole Bible around, had my eyes closed, put my finger down and I opened my eyes and it's on Jonah three. And it was like, and Jonah finally went to Nineveh and he told the people to repent and everyone in Nineveh repented and like they were saved. And I was like, well, Nineveh, Sin City. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's, that sounds about right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that sounds about right. Nineveh and Sin City. That's a good comparison. Yeah. So I just went that summer and the Lord changed my life here during the internship. He like all that original stuff that I talked about, about the lies and that I believed, he began to uproot them because I had really good discipleship. And as I began to evangelize and learn more about him, even more than I, I was like, wow, Lord, I didn't know I could like, there's just always so much more to you. And so while I was here, I just realized, okay, the Lord's called me to be a leader. The Lord's called me to like, I have authority to pray things and see them happen you know, the Holy Spirit really does still move in miracles on the street that one of the biggest miracles is salvation. But then like you talk to people and you realize the Lord just had, he sees people. Mm -hmm. And I get to be a part of seeing people that are unseen. And, um, as I was doing that, the Lord said, he just basically told me, I knew in my heart that I was supposed to come back to live here after I graduated. And so I just continuously visited Vegas and prayed about it and submitted it to him. And right after my junior year, they reached out and said, Hey, we actually have a position for you opening up after you graduate. Would you like to come move out here and be a part of this? And so the Lord had been speaking to me for a few years about it, but it, Vegas really was one of the best yeses I ever said to the Lord because so much of my life um, changed here. Yeah. 
Yeah, Christina, give us a little bit of an insight. What is ministry like in Las Vegas? Uh, a lot of people that will probably be tuning in uh, are from Indiana, Greenwood, or, or Indianapolis, the area. What's it like, you know, when we ever come out to visit you guys and do ministry alongside of you, it's, it's some of the, the sweetest uh, and purest weeks we, we spend in all of the year because, um, I mean, you'll find all sorts of people uh, in, in Las Vegas. So, so what, is, what is ministry like for you on, on a day-to-day -day basis, and how have you seen the Lord work in, in the streets of Las Vegas? Yeah, ministry in Vegas is definitely a different ballgame than anywhere else I've been. And I think even just some of the ministry type things we do here wouldn't work elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and every day looks different because it's Las Vegas. And so our spring and our summer is full of street like evangelism. But our fall and our winter is full of just like prepping our body, preparing for the spring and summer. Because if we went at that rate all year long, it would not work. Um, one of the biggest parts of our ministry, though, is honestly prayer mm -hmm. and intercession. I think a lot of the success of your ministry will be dependent on how much of it actually comes from, from Jesus, mm -hmm. you know, because we're, we're not supposed to do anything apart from Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so often people are building these ministries, but they're not asking the Lord to be a, a part of everything. And especially when you live in a dark place like Las Vegas, where it's known for sin, it's known for darkness, it's known as a, like a lot of places talk about it as the devil's playground. Mm -hmm. um, there has to be a lot of prayer involved. And so I think first and foremost, there's a ton of prayer involved in ministry out here. Secondly, there has to be a ton of worship because worship changes the ground that we walk on. Mm -hmm. It takes ground back. When you praise the name of Jesus, Jesus is worthy of all praise. And so when he gets the praise he's worthy of, it changes atmospheres. Mm -hmm. And so we believe we're claiming backgrounds as we worship him. But also the first ministry is first and foremost, always to the heart of God. It's always to the heart of God because the first commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. So before we can go and love our neighbor on the street, we need to love the Lord. And so it starts in prayer and worship. And then there's a lot of street evangelism. We go out and do free prayer on Fremont Street, which is the old strip. And we just hold up signs because everyone else has a sign. This is some kind of vulgar, crazy thing that they can pay for, whether it be some crazy street performance or naked women you could take pictures with. There's a ton of different signs um, that you can go up and do something on Fremont Street. So we have free prayer, the one thing that's free on Fremont Street. We go and we worship on the Las Vegas Strip to take that ground. We go and sit on the street with a homeless person because we're now eighth in the nation for homelessness, and we have the most homeless youth in the entire nation. We fight human trafficking by looking for missing foster care kids because there's a ton of foster care kids that are being trafficked in Vegas. Um, you know, so there's, and then we just go into parks and we go into malls and we go into different places and we just walk up to people and talk to them about Jesus because we know it's the only hope. Yeah. And what I love about Vegas that's different than a lot of other places um, is that everyone here is looking to fill a void because they, they think that like their greatest satisfaction is going to come from sex, relationships, money that they, gambling, partying, whatever it be, they're looking for a crazy supernatural high and when they get here and realize that it falls short and it's not everything they expected it to be, they're much more open to realizing why isn't this fulfilling me the way that I always thought it should. Like I'm in the epicenter for it and I don't feel the way I expected. And a lot of people come here with the la last little bit of hope that they have, right? And so people are in a desperate place. They wear their hearts on their sleeve and everyone's looking for an experience when they come here. And so when you tell them about Jesus and it suddenly makes sense, Every like it's just amazing the testimonies that we have from evangelism here because people really are on their last little bit of hope and they're looking for an experience. 
to fill the void that they have. And so ministry here is different because we go up to people and it's, it's just wild how ready people are. We still see a lot of rejection, but we also see so the Lord do so much in a place defined by sin because that's where his grace abounds. And so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of that. We meet a lot of tourists from different nations. We've seen Muslims give their life to Jesus. We meet prostitutes who end up leaving prostitution. We meet the average everyday Las Vegas local that has a ton of questions. We meet a ton of homeless people who say the real reason they're giving their life to Jesus is for the first time they feel heard and seen in years, Mm -hmm. you know? So there's so many different aspects to what Vegas ministry looks like, but I love there's an openness to the gospel because they basically tried everything else by the time they get here. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll never forget a moment. Uh, It was me and a high school student and we were in Las Vegas with you all. Um, and it was just outside of the, the YWAM base. And we went to go see some homeless, uh, walk kind of a block or two away and, and went to go see some, a, a kind of a homeless hut, if you will. And, um, we got, we got to talking with a transgender female and we talked with her for probably 30 minutes. Uh, and then, because the first thing that she had said to us was like, well, if you're religious or something, then we're not interested. Uh, and so we're like, well, we're here to give you hope and, and peace. And she's like, okay, we'll sit down. And so we sit down and we talk about Jesus for 30 minutes. And afterwards, she's just like, you guys have changed my perspective on who Christ is because I've either mm-hmm. seen it, you know, be screamed at me from the street corner, or I've seen it from my parents who have thrown me out of the house. And like, I got an opportunity that I might never get to do again to share the gospel with someone who is not only, uh, uh, you know, gender confused but thrown out of her house and a lot of that is the stain of like old um you know to her religious beating and we got to share the gospel with her genuinely at the end of it she was she was like would you pray for me like and what a difference that just 30 minutes makes and so christina not all of us live in las vegas what what's some advice to just the believer in jesus to go on mission for Jesus Christ every single day and to seek him out. What would you say? I think there's several things when it comes to living life on mission. I hope that when people come, we can kind of teach them the simplicity of living life on mission and walking the way of Jesus. I think part of it is really just having your eyes open and being unhurried and interruptible. And really what that means is Jesus didn't walk anywhere hurried. I love John Comer just came out with a book where he talks about this. Um, But it's something we've been saying for a while is like live an interruptible life. And what that means is allowing Jesus to speak to you all throughout the day and being like, are my eyes open to see the person that the Lord might have for me today? And so maybe you're not going out intentionally to evangelize, but you see everyone through the lens of Jesus. And when you see people through the lens of Jesus, you can slow down with the compassion he's given you to stop and have a conversation, see people, hear people. And when you begin to realize that the name of Jesus really does change everything and his love changes everything, it's this thing that you you just need to share with people all the time. And evangelism can be awkward. Like that's the honest truth. Sometimes it's still the hardest thing in the world for me, but I've seen Jesus change too many lives to care about rejection. And so I think like we need to have this mindset that is my uncomfortability have more worth than that person's eternity. Mm -hmm. And that's really something like you have to take a look at to live life on mission. No, my uncomfortability doesn't take precedent over that person's eternity. And so whatever it looks like, 
I'm going to stop and slow down to see people when Jesus has me stop and see people, whether it be your barista, the person at the grocery market, the person at the park, or wherever you might go. Maybe it's even a friend that you've been friends with for a while, but you've never had the courage to talk to them about Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's bringing Jesus into your everyday interactions with people and allowing him to filter in who you should be telling the gospel to on a daily basis is a way to live on mission. And I think on top of that, um, there's several things. There's servant. We're all supposed to be servant hearted. And so it's not even just evangelism. It's how am I serving people today? You know, am I willing to put other people's needs above my own? And there's like a healthiness to looking for the way to be the person that serves because people see that and they feel the love that comes with someone who serves well. And so it's just continuously slowing down to see how to be Jesus in that moment to whoever's around you. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's so true. I think, um, another question for you just a minute that's off the script so I apologize I don't know if I've hit one of them Um, but uh, I think it's so important when you say live an interruptible life that you're we it's encouraging to hear that like you're waiting to be interrupted right like 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 I man wouldn't I love to be interrupted for the Lord in this moment so I could share the gospel with somebody I think so often uh, we sit we sit back on our heels as Christians we know the truth of the gospel and we know that people need to know him and we even know people around us that we love that we've been around forever we know they need the, the hope of the scriptures and they're sitting around waiting for a moment to share the gospel and God calls us to go right? He looks at all of the disciples uh, in Matthew and says something specific to all of them. And then as a collective group, he says, go. That's for all of them. That's for the introvert. That's for the extrovert. That's for the in-between. That's for the married. That's for the single. That's for the broken. We're all broken, right? So Christine, I want you to explain, you know, I think a lot of people that are listening are like, okay, well, Christine, I would love to do that, but I just don't feel equipped. I don't feel ready. I'm not I'm not that outgoing person that's always looking for, you know, and so share, you shared a little bit about this. You've alluded to it at least share a little bit about how, like, you know, maybe that wasn't you one day. And even now often evangelism can be awkward, but how did you grow in the Lord to say, you know what, you know, this awkwardness is more important than me just sitting on my heels and not sharing the gospel. Yeah, I think there's so many, there's so many layers to that. I think one thing that we have to look at is no one's really equipped. The reality is what we've been given is the Holy Spirit. And that's the only thing we need to be equipped Mm -hmm. is the Holy Spirit. Because if you're living a life that you can completely do on your own, then you're not really relying on the Lord. Mm -hmm. You know, our lives should look more supernatural because Jesus is really in control of our lives. And so often a lot of people are like, well, I'm not equipped. Well, if you were, then it really wouldn't be a God thing in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so I've never really been equipped to do these things. My number one gifting is not evangelism. I'll tell you that. Like, you know, I, and yet I run a school of ministry where I teach people how to evangelize because I see the worth in people and the worth in bringing King, like Jesus's kingdom down. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's several things that we have to do. I think one, you have to realize it's not about you in the first place. Mm -hmm. It's just not. When you give your life to Jesus, you're saying my life is yours. Mm -hmm. And what that looks like is allowing him to determine your days and your steps, which he kind of does anyway. Um, but a lot of us have a response of, but God, that's why I can't do this. I recently talked with people about Moses and that was Moses's response to the Lord when the Lord was like, Hey, you're supposed to do this. And Moses was like, but Lord, and the Lord was like, 
yeah, but okay, this is who I am. And this is actually exactly what's going to happen. And this is how I'm going to do this. And he was like, but Lord, they're not going to listen to me. And the Lord was like, okay, but <laughs> this, and the Lord's literally revealing his divine nature. He's giving him a game plan. He's showing, this is who I am. They're having this awesome interaction. And continuously Moses's response was, but Lord, I'm not equipped. And the Lord, it actually says that the Lord burned with anger against Moses because Moses kept saying, but Lord, and he wasn't getting it that the Lord was going to move and it wasn't about him. He was being used and he was being chosen out of love, but it wasn't about his ability. Right. And so I think that all of us have to start from this place of, am I giving God a but God statement when he's told me to do something? Because none of us are equipped, but he's called all of us. Mm. And so ultimately it starts with realizing it's not about you and you're probably not equipped, but that's where the Holy Spirit steps in. The Lord literally says, don't worry about what you'll say. Don't worry about how you'll fight because the Holy Spirit will speak through you in, in due time. The Holy Spirit will give you the plan at the right moment. And mm. so we just need to know that it's really not about us. And then second, I think there really is a response of understanding the power of the gospel. I think for a long time, I was too nervous and embarrassed because I didn't understand how powerful the gospel was because I wasn't fully living in it in my own life. You know, when you realize how powerful it is, uh, I once heard an atheist say, he said, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in God at all. But if you really believe there's a heaven and you believe there's abundant life, how much do you have to hate someone to keep it from them? Mm -hmm. And he's an atheist. And I was like, okay, that's, that's the reality is if I really do love people, Real love is showing them that there's a best, like there's an amazing life for you and there's an eternal life. And so understanding the value of the gospel, because sometimes when, even if you grow up in a Christian home, the gospel becomes something that's normal and we forget that it's good news. Um, and then lastly, I think allowing the Lord. Um, I think I started praying this prayer a while ago. It's Lord, how can I bring your kingdom today? I just want to be a part of bringing your kingdom today. And sometimes it looks like preaching on a street corner. Sometimes it looks like answering a phone call and listening to someone. And sometimes it looks like buying a person a meal. And sometimes it looks like resting because I'm the one the Lord's after that day. And if I don't rest, it's not going to go well. Um, but just asking him how I can bring his kingdom that day. Christina, that's so encouraging. I, I appreciate that. One, one thing I like to say is that the Lord isn't looking for the equipped. He's looking for the willing. And if you're willing mm, to go good. on mission for him, then that's, that's you being equipped right? Those who are ill-equipped are those who saying, I'm not equipped, you know, and I can't do yep. that. I'm not, I don't, you know, and I think what we do is we trump the power of God in that moment. We make ourselves God. If I say that God can't move in this way because I was made in a way that's a little quiet or I'm, or I don't know the entire whole of scripture. So I could, would, I'm worried about what they might ask me. Be okay to fail. Be okay not to know. Let the Lord go before you as he promised in his word and let him give you the words to speak in the moments in which you don't have the words, as he promised. And I think one thing about our Christian growth that you're reminding me, Christina, is that God grows us in uncomfortable situations. Yeah. We don't grow in comfortable situations. And so, like you said, when the gospel becomes regulative in our life, when it becomes monotonous, when it becomes another thing on our list, it, we strip it of its power. We take the power of God. It says, I am the living God. The same Holy Spirit that lives in you and me today was the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. I want to go out and, 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 and break chains. I want to go out and, and change lives. People go from broken to beautiful. That's the God that we serve. And then we say, well, I just don't know if I'm ready. And he says, you'll never be ready. 
you'll never be ready, right? And so that's super encouraging. Uh, to, to close here, Christine, I could talk for all day, but uh, I really do appreciate you coming on here and sharing, and sharing about just what God is doing in your life. Uh, to close here, is there, uh, it's a twofold question, and, and I'm only doing this because of time, but um, what's one lie that you have to continuously stop and say, I know that's a lie, this is the truth. The devil or, or the enemy is trying to preach this to me, and I know the truth of Jesus. What's one of those? And then on the flip side, what's a book or a scripture or a moment in prayer recently that's heavily impacted you on your walk that others could hear and be encouraged by? Hmm. Oh, what a loaded question. <laughs> I know. Uh, what is so such a loaded question? I think. I mean, obviously, there's lies that will always come at us, right? And we have to continuously be people who choose truth people who choose truth. Um, and so of course there's a few, but I think really some of the, the lies all kind of step from a place of being scared to fail um, and letting that pressure change the way I walk with Jesus and having to realize like, what is grace actually for if I'm so scared to fail and I get embarrassed so easily. And so I think often I just have to realize that you know, failure is okay because we've been given grace, whether that's in a conversation that I had that I thought would go a different way, or if that's me trying to do something the Lord's called me to do, or if it's what, whatever it is, um, it's, it's actually okay to fail because we've got the grace of God to fall upon and the righteous man falls seven times and gets back up. That's, that's the reality. And so I think um, often as Christians, it's like the further you get in the Christian, like the less grace you give yourself to fail because I should know better. Mm. But the reality is the, we've been given grace for a reason mm. and we're not to abuse grace, but it does give us that cushion that it's okay to fail. Even when you become a leader, it's okay to fail. And it's okay that other people see it because that gives God all the more glory when you stand back up because it's only by his power that you could do anything in the first place. Amen. And so I think just learning how to be okay with failure and how to be okay with other people seeing that because there's never going to be a time in your life where you stop making mistakes. Mm. So good. Yeah, that's good. Uh, Christina, I, I'm, I'm going to try to close every conversations with Christians podcast with, with the guests just praying for whoever listens. Um, would yeah. you just pray for encouragement, pray over them? Um, just, just whatever you feel led to pray. But um, once again, thank you so much for jumping on here. I'm encouraged yeah. uh, by the brother or by the sister in Christ you are. Um, and uh, I long for the day that we get to come out and do ministry alongside of you guys again. Unfortunately, these weird circumstances have probably stripped us of that for a while. But the moment that we get to come back out uh, to Las Vegas and do street evangelism, worship on the street, um, you know, share this gospel with the homeless that you just so you, you guys encourage us so much. And I want you, I want you to know that. Uh, so I, so thank you for doing that. I love it when you guys come out. You guys are definitely an amazing, amazing just people to work with. And you guys always bring so much faith with you. And so I'm excited for when you guys can come back out again, too. I didn't answer the second part of that question, so I apologize. That's okay. That's um, okay. I will say that if you can watch The Chosen, you should watch The Chosen. It's all about, like, his disciples being chosen. Mm -hmm. And it allows you to see the reality of how the disciples live. Because sometimes we strip them of real emotions and situations. But even when they, like, in all of their lives, they felt real emotion. And I think that's been good. And also, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Learning that Jesus really wasn't hurried and we're supposed to live unhurried. So good. Just going to put that out there. <laughs> I, I've I heard the rave, the rave about that book. In fact, I bought a copy and it's just sat still. So I, need to, I probably need to pick that up. 
So. Oh, Joe Marcomer has been my favorite author forever. So I could recommend any of his books, but okay. that book changes your life the way that you walk on a daily basis. Um, so yeah, I, and thank you so much for inviting me on. I will definitely, you want me to pray for yes, everybody? Okay. Yeah. Jesus, we just come before you right now. And I thank you for this opportunity to just speak. And I ask Lord that only your words would prevail in this. I pray Lord that the words that you spoke would encourage and stir hearts. I pray Lord that people as they leave this quarantine would want to live life on mission with you, whether they're in Greenwood, Indiana, or some other random place that Luke has listeners, wherever they are, I pray that they would have their eyes open to live interruptible for you. I pray, Lord, that the power of your gospel would be known everywhere because people see its value and they carry it. I pray right now, Lord, that um, you would be in people's testimonies right now, that you'd be speaking to people that as people heard this and maybe they were thinking, I'm not equipped before this. Or maybe they were thinking, why should I be obedient to Jesus before this conversation? I pray, Lord, that you would speak to them in this moment and this would be a marker of, yeah, Jesus showed me himself that he is worthy to be obedient to. He is good. He has the right intentions. I pray that you would speak that truth over people. And I pray right now, Lord, that through the rest of quarantine, we would live deliberately on mission for you from our homes, whether that's learning how to rest, being refined, whatever it is, I pray that everyone in their homes would use this as an opportunity to look more like you and be closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I appreciate